Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are joined by Kay Firth Butterfield, Head of Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning at the World Economic Forum. Together with Kay, we will be diving into the complex topic of artificial intelligence ethics. As a pioneer in this field, Kay has co-founded and led a number of initiatives that are shaping global and national policies on ethical artificial intelligence. Kay believes that for humans and artificial intelligence to work together, governments need to think about artificial intelligence in a strategic and ethical way. She elaborates on this collaboration, giving examples from her projects in which she is currently engaged assisting multiple governments around the world to write artificial intelligence policies. Dialogues with the population are essential in order to achieve ethical AI, says Kay, and academics are in the best position to help. During this episode, Kay will guide us through this complex subject and share her advice on how to create ethical artificial intelligence for now and the future. We hope you enjoy it. Hi friends, we are here today with Kay Firth Butterfield, Head of Artificial Intelligence and Machine Learning at the World Economic Forum. Hi Kay! Hi! (laughs) Kay, um, as I was mentioning earlier, I'm really, really excited to finally uh, manage to to do this episode and um, I'm, I'm super excited for our listeners to hear more about your experience in this space. So, uh, yeah, let's go with the first question. Uh, tell me and our listeners a little bit more about you. Who is Kay and um, what is she doing in this wonderful space of artificial intelligence and machine learning? Yes, certainly. Um, it's absolutely delightful to be here. Thank you very much for um, having me on your program. Uh, who am I? Well, uh, I am many different things, as we all are, which makes us distinctly human. Um, but uh, my background is that I was a barrister. That's the wig and gown type of lawyer in England. And then um, sat part time as a judge and decided I really didn't want to be a full time judge. And I had always um, really enjoyed teaching. And so I actually moved to the United States in 2008 and um, started to teach and also went back to school myself and did master's degrees in international relations and law um, with a focus on artificial intelligence. And that was back in 2012, Hmm. uh, when really there were not very many people thinking about these intersections. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, meet the chair and CEO of an AI startup and have conversations about the need for ethics in AI. Um, And he offered me a job to create what became the world's second AI ethics ethics panel. Um, So um, DeepMind had developed one. Um, and we developed one very soon after. I was given a completely blank slate to do that work. 
Um, I was allowed to talk about who was on my panel. I was allowed to talk in, in public about the need for ethics advisory panels in AI. And, you know, this was in 2014. This was really early on. Mm. And um, I, as I say, I was really fortunate to have that, that experience. And as a result of that, um, I was invited to be the vice chair of the IEEE's work on ethical, ethically aligned design. Um, and I have been the vice chair of that since uh, December 2015. And what amazing about that is that it really shows the tra trajectory mm -hmm. of how people have been have become more and more interested in the ethics of AI. So we started with 12 people in that project. And in the most recent release of our report, we've got over two and a half thousand people from all around the world working on this. So, um, so it's just a little vignette into how things have really developed in this space. Mm. Um, then some, some friends, uh, Manoj Saxena, who is the uh, former general manager of Watson and, became, and, and now runs his own AI company, and uh, Tom Meredith, who is the former CFO of Dell, and um, and my former CEO from my AI company, we started a, a, a nonprofit called AI Global, and I was the executive director of that before I moved to this particular position at the forum. Um, and uh, we are really sort of exploring how. Um, AI can be used for good across a number of dimensions, but particularly in sort of local communities. And uh, that led me to be a board member of the um, AI for All, which is the organization that Fefele uh, and Melinda Gates set up um, to educate young women from disadvantaged backgrounds on AI so that they can solve problems in their communities. Um, and I'm also on the board of Earth Species, which is a fantastic um, organization where we're hoping to use AI to interpret and explain what whales are saying to one another. Wow, that's quite a lot of impressive work in the space of AI and ethics. Um, Kay, how would you define them both? What, what, what is for, to you artificial intelligence and what is ethics? Okay, so um, for, for me, it's about social impact and what, uh, what are we doing in the future and now to... Um, really make sure that AI and humans work together um, and AI isn't used in ways that actually um, have caused bad things to happen for human beings. So let's take a, uh, an element of artificial intelligence, facial recognition. At the moment, we're working with the French government mm -hmm. and companies from around the world to uh, look at what are the appropriate boundaries between the use of facial recognition for surveillance and keeping society safe, in contrast with the citizens' rights to be able to demonstrate and, and live freely without being surveilled the whole time. So that's really where I 
and working is at that intersection of let's make sure that AI is a helpmate to humans hmm. as opposed to um, as opposed to being something that actually makes our lives worse. And how does that look like um, in your perspective? Like what, what are some of those kind of like common sense um, regulations like or basis for regulations that would enable that? Okay, so, so the work that we do at the forum is um, all around governance of technology mm. and gov governance with a small G. And so um, we are um, looking at everything from norms and self-regulation through to actually um, laws being passed to regulate mm. um, AI. And so we have across um, our offices, and we have offices in San Francisco, where I'm based, uh, Japan, China, and mm -hmm. India. We have eight projects that we're working on at the moment, and they're all about governance. Um, and we've just finished, for example, a white paper in which we advise governments to um, have and to create a national AI strategy and we advise them how to do it because mm -hmm. I'm fortunate on my team to have someone who helped to write the French national AI strategy and someone who helped to write the Indian um, AI national strategy and I had a hand in one of those as well so we felt that that's a great beginning place If you're a government, you, sh you if you're a government, you absolutely should be thinking about artificial intelligence in a strategic and ethical way. Mm. Um, so we so we've just finished that white paper, but generally our work is project work, and the project is three months in the scoping, nine months in the co-creation, and every project has to have government. Uh, business, academic, and civil society representation, mm -hmm. and then we and then we actually pilot what we've done yeah. for six months. And on the back of that pilot, the idea is that we scale it globally. So let me just give you an example mm -hmm. of those that we are literally just about to pilot. Um, and that's some work we've done, been doing with the United Kingdom government. Uh, we have with the United Kingdom government and our multi-stakeholder group co-created guidelines, which the United Kingdom will use for the procurement of artificial intelligence. So anytime any part of the United Kingdom government buys artificial intelligence, they will do so against other guidelines that we have co-created and using the very detailed workbook that we have created to help them interpret those guidelines. The guidelines will actually be published by the mm. UK government this week, um, so watch, watch out for them. But obviously they're high level and the detail is in that workbook. Mm. We are about to pilot it in the United Kingdom with four different ministries to test out whether the guidelines are right and or that we need to tweak the, the workbook. Yeah. And we are also going to pilot it in the United Arab Emirates and in Bahrain and in Colombia and in Brazil. 
when we've got the results of all those pilots and we've mm-hmm. made the and we've made the adjustments then we will start inviting other countries to use this particular governance mechanism mm. and why is it a governance mechanism well the governments know that it takes too long to regulate ai to yeah. actually pass legislation mm. because the horse is already bolted and it's yeah. four, four fields away by the time you get around to regulating yeah what the uk government said is this will actually actually govern ai it will show where we the government feel that the ethical barriers or should be put yeah the those guard rails and also the government feel that it will actually encourage ai startups and the development of ai because they won't be worried that the government might go off and legislate in some way that they don't understand they know what the government's perception is yeah. so it's sort of soft governance as i said we're working with the french government at the moment on facial recognition um that's very that's much earlier stages we've we're still in the scoping phase of that so in that first 3 months yeah. we don't know what that governance will be but we know that there is a governance mechanism and of course it's interesting that um with facial recognition even big companies say brad smith of microsoft yeah. has actually called for hard regulation in this space. Yeah. So we'll see what 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 comes of of that. Yeah. Um we are working with the New Zealand government at the moment at very early stages on thinking about whether we actually need a regulator for AI to actually sort of govern what's going on in this space. And we've also been working with a lot of companies to create what we're calling a toolkit for boards so that boards of directors can actually understand a little bit about AI and also understand about how AI is going to affect their businesses for good and ill yeah. and right at the center of there are 12 modules in that and right at the very center of that is an ethics module yeah because we believe that um we believe that that com- that companies really need to have ethics at the heart of anything that they do with ai yeah and we're about to pilot that so um in the next 3 months i should be piloting it in usa colombia uh australia uh russia and norway oh so- Nice. I have like two questions in 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 um yeah, in the lead up of that. One of it is how how do lawmakers or how have you experienced lawmakers educating themselves on this kind of ever changing technology landscape? Um I I I don't know want to presume that I know um about the common lawmaker but but I would imagine that must be difficult to constantly educate or keep up to date with this um technological changes how how do they how have you experienced them doing it well um I I different governments have different different ways of doing that but for example again coming out of the UK um Darren Jones who's the uh MP for Bristol hmm. um he is actually setting up an organization which we the forum have been involved in discussions about 
um, to help educate um, lawmakers from around the world. And the idea of this organization is that it will hold conferences specifically for lawmakers. Nice. Um, there are some um, there are some countries that are perhaps more advanced than others in thinking about AI, which is why we wrote the white paper um, on you know AI national strategies because we we believe that if you don't actually start there. Then um, you can't dis- you can't design what's best for your society and for your citizens regarding AI. And AI happens to you rather than it happens by design. Yeah, yeah. And and my second one was around ethics. I, I was wondering if you, you you were mentioning that there's a there's a small module at, at the center of that um, around ethics in the materials that you're preparing for for the boards. I, I wonder from your experience. Um, How have you seen this not necessarily been read or assimilated, but actually in the practice of ethics? How 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 does that enable that? The, you know, the the practice of ethics itself. Well, what we what we are advising is that um, companies should all think through whether they need an ethics advisory panel or mm. whether they need an ethics office, an AI ethics officer. Yeah. Um, and we are advising that that officer should probably sit in the C-suite um, because it is so integral. Um, and for larger companies, we're suggesting that, this, that they do very much the same thing as Kathy Baxter's doing at Salesforce, which is make sure that, you know, they're right there embedded into the product teams mm. because um, we believe very strongly that you want to start the process at the beginning. So as the, the particular product is being produced, Or the AI as being inserted into some into as a tool in your company, you want to actually make sure that you are um, thinking about the ethical implications right at the beginning, and it's not something that sort of goes through the process and yeah. then you and then somebody say this the poor old chief AI ethics officer has to say, oh no, that's a really bad idea and and we'll just waste all that money and development work because that puts pressure which might result in somebody allowing something out that shouldn't have got. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I have a I have another question, but I, I, I'm not sure how to phrase it properly, so bear with me as I make it probably an incomplete exercise. But um, we had, um, we had uh, Gloria, Gloria on the podcast a few episodes ago speaking to the ethics of GDPR law. And one of the things that, that she was, uh, as a professor, working in that space and... Uh, and advising the government on, on GDPR law. She, what, what she was wondering in, in, in the episode that we recorded is what exactly um, is the understanding, the full understanding on how the normal human citizen um, conceptualizes their rights uh, and particularly the right over information and, and, and how much they can give permission or not and how much does the law in itself allow for them to make that understanding for themselves. So... I was wondering with AI and ethics if 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 there isn't kind of like a sim- similar question mark that we could ask you know like like how how good are we in conceptualizing how the normal citizen the normal now in 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 the systems of garden furnace that they live engages with with the with the ethics of that technology that is being built yes i 
absolutely agree. Um, it's it's a it's a major concern that I think most of us who work in this field um, have. It's something that we haven't yet come properly to grips with because people are already using AI in many ways hmm. without actually understanding the ramifications yeah. of what they're doing, the amount of data that they're sharing, and the fact that very many times when they're using social media, for example, they're actually training those algorithms yes, to yes. know more and more about them. Exactly. And so um, I definitely believe that there is a huge need for conversations to be held with the public. And um, how we hold those conversations is actually quite difficult because, mm. um, you know, do we crowdsource those conversations? If mm. we crowdsource those conversations, you're actually only dealing with perhaps some people who actually understand some of this stuff. Um, if you have town halls in your community, then do are the only people who come the people who are already interested? Hmm. Do we do this through the media? And if so, how do you do it through the media? So, you know, there's a lot of informed discussion in some more technical journals like Wired, for example, but Wired has its own audience, you know, hmm. you use Medium, you can talk about it, for example, on Medium, but again, you're only um, having this conversation with people who are already partially informed. One thing that I have been thinking about is whether that's a role that academics could play hmm. and universities could play in terms of trying to reach out to, you know, their public, the people, their, their own communities. And the other thing is maybe that we need to, you know, nonprofits um, could do a could do some of this work, but it's something that needs to be done yesterday. Yeah. And I, we're still struggling about how we actually do it. Yeah. But if we don't do, if we don't have this conversation and, and people don't understand the ways in which, for example, their civil, civil liberties can be interdicted by AI, yes. then that will happen to them. Hmm. And my concern is, it is twofold. Either it happens to them and it's too late for us as a community and citizens to do anything about it, or it happens to them and it causes a backlash against AI and we lose the benefits of AI as well as the negativities of AI. So um, I think there is also a possibility that um, we will start having this conversation more as people are affected by artificial intelligence. So for example, you know, if your loan company uses AI to turn down a loan, and you don't understand why they've turned down that loan, mm. then that might be something that you then go and have a conversation with your friends and relatives about. And, and that sort of bubbles to the surface some of the problems that we're all talking about, um, but we don't know how to engage the public properly with. One other question regarding innovation, you know, because so much of this kind of knowledge of AI is now concentrated with quite big monolithical companies that have a lot of money. 
but they also kind of i mean the way they lead the innovation of this space it's it's all in connection to their specific interests um also in terms of recruiting talent so how how can we make that the an innovation or the developments that are happening in AI are not fully concentrated in this few companies with very strong vested interests? How can that uh, space of innovation be broadened up? I think that um, we need we need broad innovation because different different countries mm. need different things. Yes. So. Um, we have, I, I set up in, in May a, um, what we call a global AI council um, so that we could look at what are the global challenges re- regarding AI um, around the world and what are the governance mechanisms we put, need to put into place on a sort of global basis. Um, that council is actually led by Kai-Fu Lee of Innovation Ventures in, in China and um, Brad Smith, uh, who's the president of Microsoft, who we talked about before. Mm-hmm. And whilst, I, whilst I'm just on Microsoft, it's easy to say that these companies are all out for their own, their, their own needs. Um, but actually, Brad has spoken very strongly about some of these technologies needing regulating. So the facial recognition, mm-hmm. for example, um, a number of these companies have set up internal or external ethics bodies. So Microsoft has Ether. Um, and so whilst it's important that the ecosystem is bigger than mm-hmm. just the big players, um, I, I think we should give them some credit for the fact that they are actually trying to do something. Um, so coming back to the ecosystem, and so if you look at India, mm-hmm. for example, you know, India is a country where there's a lot of small and medium-sized enterprises. And so we need to develop ways of those small and medium-sized enterprises actually being able to work in the AI world. So one of the ways that India is approaching it and working with a colleague of mine at the forum is saying, okay, we need to make more data available because um, that's the advantage that that large companies have. They have access to all this data. Mm -hmm. So how can we as a government make sure that there is data available so that these small and medium-sized companies can, can be part of the AI economy? And that goes back to why you should have a national AI strategy, because if you don't have that strategy, you can't empower your own national AI economy. So um, that's really important, especially for the global south, because the needs of the global south for AI are very different from our needs. So take, for example, Japan. Mm-hmm. Japan um needs to have a lot of AI and healthcare robots. You know, it's an absolute necessity because of the way that their population is set up Mm. Uh, and the fact that they don't have enough young people to care for the old people. And if they don't go very quickly into that, then they have big problems with their economy. Mm. But if you're looking at an African country where, you know, most people are under 30, like Rwanda, then the, the 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 consequences of applying AI in that country are very different from the application in 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 Japan. 
And so, you know, my answer would be each country needs to grow mm-hmm. the a economy that it needs. And we shouldn't think that everybody needs the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I was wondering, you mentioned earlier about the role of maybe academia in um, in help kind of advance some of these topics. I, it made me think on the current shift that is happening, particularly in Europe, I'm not sure how it is in other parts of the world, of, of uh, funding that goes maybe from humanity to STEM. Um, and even more particularly within the space of humanities, I'm thinking about social science. So I was wondering if you can speak a bit to that. Um, yeah, so... Um One of the things that I think is is very important and may come out of the new G7 initiative is um, funding for ethical experimentation with AI. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I know that there are a number of countries that have been talking about um, creating sort of a, a large fund that is only dedicated to the to research in ethical AI. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that uh, but first of all, we have to get the funding right for academia, as, as always with academia. Um, and, and then moving on from that, academics could show the world how to do ethical research. Um, because in most countries, academics are bound by um, you know, in, in the, in the United States, um, boards that you have to go to in order to be able to do research on human beings, for example. Um, and that might be something that governments should think about saying, okay, this is applicable to academics who don't have any particular profit motive. So why shouldn't something similar be applicable to companies, for example? Um, And so I think that that, that academia can can pro- could provide that um, modeling yeah. of how practi- of best practices. Um, but equally, you know, academics need to be concerned about what they're doing with AI because this is a great, very exciting field, and there are lots of there are lots of things you could do with AI. But are they all necessarily the right things to do with AI? And, you know, um, I'm thinking of cases where perhaps um, scientists in the global north um, produce algorithms that um, have uh, maybe helpful consequences for the global north, but um, would be very challenging for people living in the global south. So, mm-hmm. for example, identification of someone who's gay. You know, in many countries, you can still be um, e- executed for being gay. So maybe that's not as helpful a, a, a study as some of the others. And I come back as well to the fact that really, you know, the way that life, the way that money goes Um, Mustafa Suleiman, who's uh, one of the founders of DeepMind, he said in an article a year ago, it's such a shame that um, most of the best brains in the world are concentrated on how to sell soft yeah. drinks yeah. instead of how to create clean water. Yeah. And so, you know, academia really still has that place to play because mm. commercial entities are not doing that. 
And that those are the most important places that we should be using AI, in my view. Yeah, we had uh, Julian Kornweiss on the podcast. I'm um, not sure if you know him. He's from um, AI for Good, um, working in Canada, mm -hmm. in London now. But, um, and he was talking about the same thing. Huh? He was talking about how the brilliant uh, minds of AI, and he was one of the um, original um, people working on um, on the deep mind um, they they are now using their brain to to just accelerate clicks or to 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 just contribute towards selling um, towards selling more so exactly the same point um, yeah and I, I love it that you make that connection to academia I, I can only speak to my own field which is anthropology that um, I'd love to see more and more people getting interested to explore this this topic. Yeah, and I, I absolutely, and I also think that there is a there's a place to be played for academia and civil society to be working perhaps closer together. Mm. So you know, you were talking about clicks, and um, I think of uh, the Center for Humane Technology. Um, you know, uh, where they their raison d'être is to help us to think about the way we interact with with our technology that seems to be a place where certainly people from your background you know could be working really efficiently with a an organization like that I wanted to ask you, okay, coming back to one of my initial questions around definitions of artificial intelligence, if you can speak a little bit about the relationship of power implied in the definition of artificial intelligence um, that you were referring to. So just to be more specific on that, is artificial intelligence a form of, you know, machine that uh, kind of enhances the human? Is it, is it some form of tool that we use? Is it, what, what is it coming particularly from this kind of space of identity and power? Um, I think it depends upon how it's used. Yeah. <laughs> it can be all of those things depends upon whose hands it is in. So, you know, what we are hoping um, and working, you know, certainly I and my team are working towards is that this is a collaborative tool that human beings use to help us to progress in areas such as let's make sure that we feed the world or let's make mm. sure, you know, these things where AI can empower us because it can do things more quickly than we can do. But equally, as I, we've talked about with facial recognition, it could also be used against human beings mm. in terms of surveillance and things like that. So I, I think it really depends upon who's using this tool yeah. and how it's being used, which is again why I believe that countries and companies need to have ethics yeah. um, panels or um, ethics officers actually as they're using these tools so that we're using them for the benefit of humanity. Yeah, and, and who, who is the watchdog to their ethics, I wonder. You know, this makes me think <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge science fiction geek um, and I've, uh, I've read, uh, you know, Isaac Asimov's uh, Third Laws of Robotics and there was, there was some other book, mm -hmm. which I can't remember who wrote it, but he was talking about, well, when you're building in that space of science fiction, he was talking about robots, well, you can't trust a human to make sure that it's not going to be used for bad intent. So what you need, you need to create like a basic governance mechanism that everybody should use by which the code itself is forced to be ethical so that that 
ethicalness does not it, it does not reside with a human you know maybe i'm just phrasing it really poorly but um what are your thoughts on this well i think the jury's out a little bit on this at the moment um so you know you have um suggestions for example from from um Arenazioni, um, mm. that what we need is sort of for cars, for example, mm-hmm. a standard operating algorithm yeah. and then a sort of guardian algorithm that sits mm. on top of it and says, no, no, you're speeding, bad, bad algorithm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. but, but in his Vanderbilt um, uh-huh. uh, article, he goes, you know, he ends by mm. saying, But of course, you know, who guards the Guardian algorithm? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the essential problem that we're that we're faced with at the moment. And I think those of us who believe in human-centered AI design um, are still probably at the point where we where there should be some human governance of algorithms. Mm-hmm. And we need to work out how that actually is effective. But one of the things about governance is, and governments, hmm. is that governments are elected by us, the people, to yeah. serve us, the people, and keep the social fabric of our society working. You know, you go back to the social contract. That's that's the, that's the deal that we have with our governments. And so um, certainly, you know, that's why we're sort of, examining whether we need a regulator for AI, for example. Um, and so I think the jury's out about how this should be done at the moment, but we are definitely working on it. Yeah. So, you know, just to just to end this fascinating uh, talk, I wanted to ask him what maybe some of our listeners are um, smaller or medium companies starting to build an algorithm or in the process of experimenting with AI. Um, what would you recommend them to do? Like what were kind of like the minimum, the basic steps that you can do if you are a small company um, trying to be ethical in this space? Well, first of all, once the guideline, the UK guidelines are published next week, I would certainly suggest they, that they, that they um, read those and internalize them, especially if they're going to be trying to pitch their, um, pitch their work to governments. Um, and interestingly, you know, one of the things that the UK is hoping is that this having guidelines and specific guidelines will enable more small and medium-sized enterprises to sell to government. And one of the things in the past has been that the cycle for selling to government has been so long that small startups haven't been able to be part of that cycle. Um, I would certainly suggest that um, Companies look at the work that we've been doing in the forum with the with the Singapore government, which has created a model governance framework for companies to actually build um, AI ethically. And then, of course, the toolkit. And both of those will be available after Davos in January 2020. Nice. A lot of great content to look through. Uh, and Kay, just one last question. Are you um, confirmed for any conferences, any spaces of public speaking in the in the next weeks, months that we can also uh, tell our listeners about? I may know uh, because I'm traveling so much to test our toolkit. 
Um, I will be at Davos in January and I will be at the Politico conference in um, March in Brussels. And actually, I will be keynoting at the Wired conference at the end of October. So, yes. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many spaces. So uh, we will put all these incredible uh, sources that you've mentioned, those those that are available. We'll put them in the show notes for our listeners to, to have a browse through. Um, and yeah, from my end, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you. And, and you know, on a sort of final note, yes, um, I would love to hear from any of your listeners about who are interested in any of the work that we're doing. So please also put in the show notes that um, my contact email address, which is really easy because it's ai.weforum.org. So very easy to contact us. I will definitely do so. Thank you, Kay, and have a nice day. Thank you. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.